Well, it is the first Sunday of the year, and uh, I want to let you know, uh, before I even start, that I, I was thinking about this message back in September. I don't know what got me thinking about it, except I was looking uh, through some sermons of a friend of mine, and uh, he, he often talked about conflict on the first Sunday of the new year. And I thought, you know, that's not a bad idea. I was looking, thinking, what am I going to preach in uh, January and, and following? And uh, one of them was Book of Revelation. How many have been reading the Book of Revelation in the last little while? Anybody? Ah, oh, good. Excellent. And uh, so I thought, I think we need to look at the Book of Revelation, the first three chapters, about the church. So we're going to do that in a couple weeks. We're going to look at what John has to say through the Spirit's influence uh, and inspiration about these churches, these seven churches. But I thought, why not just throw up front at the beginning of the year, talk about conflict? Because uh, isn't church a place where conflict can happen? Just like in anything, we have conflict in life and in interpersonal uh, relationships, and we have conflict in church. And uh, so this week, today, let's talk about how Jesus wants us to deal with conflict in the body of Christ. And let's next week talk about how Jesus wants us to deal with conflict on an interpersonal basis. When I was a, became a new believer, I had no concept that there would ever be any conflict in the church, ever. As a new believer, I, I thought the church is this utopian place where everything is perfect, and since I'm perfect, it won't be any different. As soon as I entered the church, it became imperfect, that's for sure. But we realized right away um, that conflict is in the church. We are not uh, blissfully, always blissfully united. Uh, the, the fact is, over the years and to the greater extent, uh, I've experienced conflict-free church experiences, and it's been wonderful. Uh, the churches that I've been in have been uh, united around the mission that uh, Christ has given us, and uh, we have been uh, clearly on mission, and, and that makes church awesome, doesn't it, when we're doing what Christ wants us to do. However, the reality is that from the birth of the church in uh, Acts, where we see that in Acts, uh, there was not a perfectly united church at, at one point. As a matter of fact, uh, the church in Acts had some troubles, some significant conflict. And so today, uh, let's look at this subject and ask God to really teach us how to uh, handle conflict Jesus' way. I remember hearing a story of uh, a dad who was in his house, and all he heard in the, in the backyard was yelling and, and arguing, and, and it was really heavy. So as us dads and, and moms would do as well, we rush out, we open that back door, and we rush out, and we go, what's going on? And these kids were out in the backyard. They were just arguing with each other, and intensity was growing. And the father said to them, what are you doing? What are you arguing about? And they said, the little girl said, Daddy, uh, we're not arguing. We're playing church. 
you know. Kids are so easy to soak up stuff, aren't they? They, they learn stuff so easily. And, and so uh, dad's going, I'm sure, just like I, uh, you and I are thinking, that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not uh, the way we do church. But we know that at times there are disagreements and there are challenges in church. So if you would turn in your Bibles, because that's where we find out how Jesus deals with conflict and, and how we led through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the leaders of this early church, the very first church in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6, turn to Acts chapter 6, and we see how uh, when a dispute arose uh, that the uh, church managed to deal with that in a, a way that brought honor and glory to God. Uh, and I love the fact that Acts 6, very early in the, the New Testament, honestly opens up about the fact churches struggle at times. Uh, individual members struggle at times within the church. And here we see how we should deal with that. Let's read Acts chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good report, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and uh, Prochorus, and uh, Nicor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from, of Antioch. And they set, these, uh, they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Father, Heavenly Father, we just love you, and we pray that today the truths of your word will help us to understand, uh, today at least, uh, how uh, you know, conflict can be dealt with within the body of Christ, local bodies of Christ. And then again, we pray for next week as we learn how conflict can be dealt with uh, properly and appropriately and uh, honoring to the Father on an individual basis. So thank you for our time, for your word, and uh, Lord, uh, Holy Spirit, just uh, guide us this morning and settle in uh, to teaching us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. So, like with any conflict in a local church, the way you handle conflict is most important. Uh, prayer, uh, wise uh, thinking and, and biblical uh, insight is, uh, you know, the way we must always handle conflict. Because if we don't handle it this way, God's way, there's a potential always for greater division, isn't there? And so it should be noted. I think we should sort of go to the end of the, the, this segment and note right off the bat in verse 7. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Isn't that wonderful? Here's a conflict. We read about it in verses 1 to 6. And yet, by the end of this segment, 
we see that God's doing even greater work because of how that conflict was handled. Uh, the, the sure reality when it comes to conflict is the devil loves division, doesn't he? The devil loves to divide. How is he going to conquer the unconquerable? Uh, so the only way he thinks about it is to throw a wrench in the, the machine of the local church. The, the fluid, God-honoring way a local church supports and lives and serves together. So as we look at this early church, the, the Jerusalem church uh, that's mentioned here, we see it having to go through and manage some internal issues that were causing some significant strife. And as we read this passage, I hope you can uh, sense as I uh, uh, sort of uh, unpack this, uh, some inspired and important lessons that we can learn for the Bridge Church here today, some 2,000 years later. Isn't it what the Christian life is all about? To bring glory to God in the good, the bad, and the ugly. When things are going well, glory to God. When things are challenged, all we're doing is saying, how can we bring this situation into a place where it glorifies God? And so in this little section, we discover some amazing principles that teach us how to deal with conflict. And first of all, we see the church at Jerusalem teaches us that there will always be the possibility of conflict. Isn't this probably the best thing to start off with? To, to think that the local church will be conflict-free is not the best way to think of it. But the fact is, the possibility is always there. And reading Acts chapter 6, we can see that this good church had to deal with an inter internal conflict. Uh, you'd think that it must be a bad church that they're having conflict. The reality is good churches will also have challenges, conflicts. And when we think about this particular church, we realize it is the first church, the newest church. They probably have five to 10,000 or more members in this church. That alone <laughs> brings challenges. But then when conflict arises, how quickly that could spread and be so divisive. Newly converted Christians still not knowing how to properly deal with conflict God's way. But because of spirit-filled leadership and uh, godly Christians, all of those new Christians start off with a real spirit of, I want God's best for my life, for our church's life, this conflict was resolved. So what, what do we see? Verse 1. If your Bible's verse 1, what does it say there? It says, a complaint by the Hellenists arose. Do you know who the Hellenists are? Well, in this time, uh, general, uh, the Jewish general population spoke Aramaic. But the Greek influence was heavily in uh, in Israel and in the region. And so there were those uh, Jews who had become so uh, intertwined with the, uh, the Greek culture that they now spoke Greek. And they left Aramaic, which was the common language 
behind. And, and so there was some conflict just in that alone. But the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, were saying, hey, listen, our widows, our underprivileged people, those who speak Greek, are not being cared for, not being looked after by the weekly and monthly um, special offering of bread and, and, and other food and even finance to help them in their poverty. And so the Hellenists, out of the Hellenist group, we don't know how many, but a group of leaders came forward and they said, uh, we have a complaint. That word complaint is grumble. It reminds me of the Jews in the desert when I hear that word grumble, doesn't it? You know, there's a murmuring. Well, this is more than a murmuring. Um, this is a, there's a great Bible scholar called A.T. Robertson, and he's written a book uh, of word studies. And he looked at this word, and he said this word could be um, uh, defined a, a secret grumbling that buzzes away until it's been heard. You've heard some of those grumblings in your life. Sometimes uh, they're from friends and family. Sometimes they're from your kids. And they grumble, grumble until you have to deal with it. Well, this grumbling was happening uh, under the surface, and it had to be dealt with. Even though this church was new, and we'd think it was perfect, it was not perfect. I've mentioned that. But I want you to know that what we get here is even in the newness of this church, a, a grumbling had arisen and a, a disagreement had come to the forefront. And Acts 6 is just a simple, down-to-earth reminder that uh, it's always present, this, this possibility of conflict. And one of the reasons that conflict comes to the head and to the forefront is simply because of mistakes. You ever think of that and think of maybe some of the conflicts that you've been involved with? I know that when I think of churches, uh, we do our best, don't we, to, uh, to make church a place where everybody feels loved, they feel like they belong, uh, and they, that things are run properly in order. Uh, I think what happened here was a little bit of a mistake, don't you? As you read this, problem was declared uh, that there was, there was this issue uh, where their widows were being neglected in their daily distribution. Uh, and as I said, uh, that, that's a historical thing that happened amongst the Jews, that they take care of their widows, orphans. They take care of those who were in need. And so somehow, a mistake, at least simply, a mistake had happened, and the Grecian widows weren't given a portion of that. It came to light. And uh, they said that they had been neglected. Uh, this word neglected means simply to be overlooked. This, this is something where I think we could easily say this was a mistake. And no reason really was given why this mistake happened, this mishappened. We just know this dear group, uh, group of women and others were, mis were not um, cared for. And the word neglected is in a tense that says it was an ongoing problem. So this problem was going on. There was buzzes going on, murmuring going on. And it didn't come to the attention of the apostles right away. But when it did come to the attention of the apostles, they dealt with it. The, the description of the Jerusalem church's problem 
should remind us that all churches will come across issues that may or may not be mistakes. We, we, we don't know, but must be dealt with. That's the important point. When you find an issue, you've got to deal with it in a manner where God is honored and those who bring that problem forward uh, feel like they've been heard and the problem is being dealt with. I love uh, this quote from Edwin Bliss, uh, pastor, many years ago. He said, the pursuit of excellence is gratifying and healthy. The pursuit of perfection is frustrating, neurotic, and a terrible waste of time. So no matter how perfect we try to be, problems do arise. And sometimes they arise simply because they're, mis they're a mistake. Didn't go the way we wanted it to go. Secondly, there are misunderstandings. Problems arise out of misunderstandings. Uh, again, we don't know all the details of the Jerusalem churches uh, and, and why this mishappened. But for sure, it was a misunderstanding because I don't see anywhere in this passage that the Grecian Jews were looked down upon as lesser than the Jewish-speaking Jews. There's a misunderstanding here. They, the, the Grecian Jews were feeling that they were being unfairly dealt with. How often is it the case that a conflict arises not based on a valid problem or maybe the problem has some validity but needs to be talked through because they think it's a problem and it, it just needs to be talked through. It's not common for... Uh, someone to feel as if they've been cited or slighted or insulted or offended when a truth, uh, when the truth is that no one was intended uh, to be harmed or misunderstood, or that a mistake was supposed to uh, that happened should have happened. So we're seeing here that there are a number of reasons why uh, conflict can arise, and oftentimes when they do arise, uh, we need to. Uh, be mindful that people's feelings are involved, pe people's expectations are, are involved, and we need to deal with this in a way that brings glory to God. The, the first church of, of Jesus Christ was made up of forgiven, uh, yet fallen, fallible human beings. And so it continues, even to this day, even in this room, as the church called the bridge. However, Let's take note that as much as, uh, as a serious conflict is detailed here, the first church also teaches us that uh, the clear principles for handling conflict. When conflict handle, uh, arises in your life, how do you handle it? I, I think I have four things here that I think we can see clearly in this passage. Um, do you know, uh, it was about 1980 that I heard the term conflict resolution. And uh, I was in, uh, in part of the 80s, I was in Bible college, and part of the 80s uh, I was serving uh, in churches, and uh, conflict resolution came to be, and it became so popular that uh, you'll even today find university courses and degrees, certificates, uh, uh, in the area of conflict resolution. You can go to university and learn how to help Corporations, individuals, 
in the area of conflict resolution. Not only universities, secular, but you can find in um, Christian uh, seminaries and universities, particularly courses and major ministries on conflict resolution. So if you have a problem in a church, you can go to a ministry and say, come on in, we have a major issue, we need your help. So conflict resolution has been around for a while in a formal way. But if we look at this passage, you can see that conflict resolution happened right from the beginning. And there was no degrees, uh, no ministries around. It happened within the church at Jerusalem. And one thing that we learn here is we notice how they handled conflict is that they did not allow the issue to cause division. There are very, very few reasons that conflict should cause division. Think about that. Very few reasons. Here it says a complaint uh, by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Um, When we handle conflict God's way, Jesus' way, even from the smallest to the largest issues, if they are held, handled improperly, will cause tremendous division. Uh, it, years ago, we used to talk about, you know, if you don't get the color of your carpet right in the church, you could cause a church split. We laugh at that, but it is true. That's happened. And I say again, there, is, there are very few reasons why a church should be divided over conflict. Conflict resolution principles are in the scriptures such as here, and more that we'll look at next week, that allows uh, the, whatever the conflict to be handled in a way that brings people together and gets us back on track to the mission and brings glory to God. So if conflict isn't handled properly, especially in this first church, we could have easily immediately seen the first Christian church down the street, and then the new Christian Grecian church fellowship at the other end of the street, because division would have happened. So, you know, first of all, they didn't allow conflict to cause division. And even as I read that and I contemplate what I wrote there, it should cause us to bring about conversation. Isn't it, isn't it true? Conflict should bring about conversation because we seek nothing but God's glory. The second of all, they did, they, as the, the situation unfolded here, they did not allow dealing with uh, the concern to be delayed. I think this is really important. As soon as it came to the attention of the apostles, the 12, the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples. I think what, uh, with a church of 10 to 20,000 or more, uh, I don't think they were calling for the whole church to be together. I think they were calling for the full di- number of disciples were those who were the leaders of the churches, the two uh, ethnic groups of the churches, to come together. And uh, they did it in a time-appropriate manner. They didn't leave things to fester. Uh, you know the old thing about just sweeping it under the carpet? Carpet. Eventually what happens? You trip over the bump in the carpet. And the same thing with conflict uh, in the church. It's something we need to approach, we need to deal with, we need to have wisdom, prayer, and God's direction on how to deal with it. And so rather than letting it become divisive, the apostles demonstrated practical 
godly leadership. And the, the reality is, while we may have differences, uh, even uh, approaches and opinions, differences don't have to become divisions. True? True, church family? Let us hear an amen. I'm going to hear another one in a second. Uh, our conflicts may stress us, but they should not split us. Amen. Ah, good. We got this going. We're in a flow. We're doing well. So uh, they didn't let it be delayed because the third principle comes in. They did not let this issue, this particular issue, distract them. I love what it says here. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. The apostles understood that their role in this was they had a mandate, a direction. And so they knew that uh, this conflict needed to be dealt with so they could uh, allow themselves to continue doing their ministry and the church itself could function well. I love what one pastor said when he said, a church racked by internal conflict finds its message lost in conflict, its energy dissipated. Isn't that true? You can get so easily distracted by so many things, and especially by issues of disagreement, uh, of, of, of conflict that has to be dealt with. We need to be spending our time and energy in the mission that God has given us to keep creating a place where we all can grow and serve with joy, to be a place like what we want to be and what we are. We are a place where you are. Okay, We're, I'm going to do this several times this morning. I want to just keep you up. You are? Love. Exactly. That's what this place is, should be. And this one's, next one's a little harder because we're learning it. You belong. You belong here. And that's what we want to spend our energy on, is creating a culture, a place where you, you are loved, where you sense, you know it, you belong, and where we focus on God's word, on prayer, on praise, and on reaching this community around us that need the love of Christ. So we say that they did not let it distract them, but also they did not let the conflict defeat them. Isn't that great? When this conflict in the early church could have just blown everything apart, the apostles and those people who brought that uh, issue forward did not let this one issue defeat them. The issue was serious. Let's not deny that. It had to be dealt with. But it was dealt with in a wise way. And so these men said, the apostles said, verse 3 to 5, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, uh, full of the Holy Spirit, of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. So they found unity in the ultimate spirit-led Conclusion, decision. And I think when the church is willing to be truly led by the Holy Spirit, where our desires and our opinions and our, what we want doesn't come ahead of what the Spirit of God is doing, then God will do some great things. And that's hard, isn't it? When we think it should go this way and others uh, 
who are leading us say, uh, I think we're on the right track. You know what really is the most exciting moment? It's when you say, you know what? Although we don't 100% agree, we're going to be united together and we'll work to make God and his word um, first. Put him first within this. And you know what? There will always be something that we have you know, varied opinions about. But we want to come together and say, God first. Uh, dealing with conflict may take some time to work through. But when we do, it's worth it in the long run. Because the third thing, the last thing I want to tell you this morning, what I see in this passage, is the power of healing conflict. Let's read verses 5 to 7 again. And they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These men, uh, they, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. I love that. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly. In Jerusalem, and a great many of, pro of the priests became obedient to the faith. I find it interesting that the solution to their problem was they gave the, the responsibility to take care of the Hellenist uh, issue to the Hellenists. They said, thank you for bringing this problem to us. We, we now agree with you. This is an issue. Can you set amongst yourselves a group of spiritual godly men who will help solve this problem so that we won't have any misunderstandings or any more mistakes and let's move forward. I, I like uh, what uh, we see in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. The problem arose. The problem was solved. And most importantly, we see the word of God continue to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The power of healing a conflict. See what happened? Uh, Kenneth Newberger, as a pastor, he wrote this. New Testament makes it clear that no church is exempt from conflict, yet this very friction offers opportunities for interpersonal and spiritual growth. To assist in such growth, Jesus sanctioned the work of a peacemaker. Isn't it wonderful when you look at the Lord uh, giving us uh, his uh, great sermon on the mount? He said, blessed are the peacemakers. I love that. A church should be a place where peacemaking is always at the forefront. Kenneth also goes on to say, in this vein, Jesus is the ultimate role, and since mediation is a God-ordained pattern, if you look to 1 Timothy 2, all Christians in conflict ought to adopt God's pattern for making peace as a reflection of their shared faith. Making peace helps us to, uh, uh, helps people to see the image of Christ in us, because he is the ultimate peacemaker. And Paul said in Philippians 2, you know Philippians 2 pretty well, you've heard it many times, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, Philippians 2, 2 and 3. Having one mind, that mind is to bring God the glory and peace always does that. 
So it's comforting to observe in this passage uh, that the hurting early church resolved the conflict and saw people come to faith because of it. Uh, I look at one observation is the church became more effective and it grew. It grew. The church grew. The apostles made it clear uh, that the primary ministry of the church was preaching of the word of God, and they didn't want to set that apart. So they needed to build out some structure. And the structure that they built out was a group of serving people. The first were a few men, but they were called deacons. And ever since then, every New Testament church has had deacons. If you look in the New Testament, you'll find that deacons can be men and deacons can be women. And they're there to do the practical serving work of caring for the church. In our church, we have a, a board of elders. Uh, they are spiritual men that look after caring for the spiritual uh, lives of our church family. And you can call on an elder anytime that you need prayer, you need anointing of, uh, of oil for sickness, you need conversation and, and uh, wise um, counsel, our elders are available. If you have some practical needs, and every one of us at one point in our life have probably had some time where we need some help practically, and, and we're going to do that later today as we have communion together, we're going to take up what we call a benevolent offering. And we take that up once a month, the beginning Sunday of the month, and that benevolent offering goes to those who maybe have some financial problems, they have some needs, and we can help. And the deacons take that help to those who are in need. And so we're glad of that. We also have a board of management here that helps to make sure that as you give each week, uh, these facilities and all the finances that come in are properly handled each week. And if you have a question on how the finances are being handled, that's who you'd approach, and they'd be happy to share. But in this early church, this need uh, allowed the church to begin by building out a new group to meet the need. Not only did they become more effective and, and greater growth, by the way, the disciples multiplied greatly. They didn't just add a few. They multiplied greatly. And if, if you don't know this, uh, let, me, let me give you a kind of a practical thing, a principle. When a church has problems, community hears. The community, the unbelieving community around, they know when churches are struggling because word gets out. It's like, you know, and it's, it's telephone. Have you ever played telephone? It doesn't get out in a really great communicated way. Actually, half the time or better, things become way larger when it gets out to the community than what it really is because of telephone. Uh, and uh, so we are excited when we see the early church having multiplied greatly, people coming in, even in spite of having a problem. Because guess what? The church, uh, the unsaved around said, look how they handled their problem. They cared for those that were in need. I want to be a part of that church. And how they handle problems, that's how I would want to have my problem 
handled. Secondly, another observation is the ministry began to reach those who opposed Jesus, not just the general community, but those who opposed Jesus. Who were they? A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Guess what? Many of those priests that became obedient to the faith were the ones that said, crucify him. And these were priests who said, I don't want anything to do with this Christian, this Christ-following group. But when they see how God was at work in the midst of this group, even in the midst of a problem, the priests even said, well, I'm going to leave the sacrificing of bulls and sheep and go and follow the one who is the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What a joy to read what happened here. And so I say, if that can happen in the New Testament church right off the bat, it can happen right here at this church. That as we handle any conflict whatsoever in a manner that is godly and is God-honoring, puts Jesus first, we will see more and more people come to faith in Christ, even those who struggle with who he is. They're going to say, I want to be a part of following Jesus, because look at how they handle their conflict. Well, there's so much more we can say, and that's why I had to divide it up in two weeks, because now there's, we've got a group setting, but what do we do when it's interpersonal? Have you ever had a conflict with anyone? Of course, we all have. How do we, on an individual basis, manage conflict with another person, maybe another Christian. In a way, again, puts Jesus first and allows that other person to see Christ in me. That song was meaningful. I didn't ask for it to be sung, but it sure means a lot to me right now. As we think about next week, how will I handle conflict on an interpersonal basis? We're going to spend some time now in... Uh, unity around remembering Christ's death. I think this is one of the most important ways that we can deal with conflict. If there's any unresolved conflict in our hearts, well, I think before we take communion, the Bible teaches us that we should pray, release that conflict to the Lord. Allow him to work in our heart and to say, I will do what I can to resolve that conflict and to be able to focus on what Jesus has done, resolved the eternal conflict, which is between lost man and God.